and welcome to the Changing Directions Filmmaker Podcast Series presented by 206.com. Changing Directions is a podcast interview series focused on diverse and emerging filmmakers who are pushing the boundaries of what's possible for women and people of color while creating amazing films. I am your host, Mark Morin, and today I'm speaking with Brad Bennett and Chris Haley, the directing duo behind a documentary short film called Unmarked. Brad, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much for being here. Now, first off, tell me the story behind this documentary and what brought the two of you together to make this film. I feel like I've told this story a few times. Chris, do you want to maybe take a stab at it? (laughs) Well, um, we met at the uh, Utopia Film Festival in uh, Greenbelt, Maryland about See, this is 2021, so I guess it's now almost four years ago, maybe three and a half years ago, because Brad had submitted a film which we accepted called Forgive, Don't Forget, which is uh, to some degree somewhat related to his his heritage, but also about a quest, a journey to re- return a, a an artifact from World War II to the person who, uh, the Japanese soldier who originally owned the sword from the American soldier who ended up with it. And so that journey was, was this really very well crafted and just emotional story that that Brad put together with this team that you felt engrossed in it because you didn't know how it was going to end. I mean, even though in the documentary, you hope for the best, there's specifically a time in that movie where you really thought it's not going to end well. And so I guess, what, what do we get out of this? It's like Game of Thrones, then they kill off Ned Stark. It's like, oh my God, what do I do now? <laughs> so, uh, but but I don't want to give it away because it's, it's out there and people can still get it and buy it and watch it, which is really worthwhile because it won our award for the Utopia Vision Award. And so within the course of that, Brad had emailed me about this project that he had begun looking into in his hometown in, in Central Virginia about unmarked graves, cemeteries where enslaved and formerly enslaved and not even enslaved African-Americans had been buried and there was effort afoot to try to find where they where they were, where they were buried, and also to preserve these sites. And because of my position, my day job as director of the study of the legacy of slavery in Maryland, I was interested in that. I've always been interested in black history and genealogy and for people who are genealogically inclined or about family history, cemeteries are a big thing. <laughs> knowing where somebody's buried, knowing knowing a, a death certificate, because that may lead you to other persons, that may lead you to other names. So this whole concept of finding out where someone was laid to rest and knowing their names and bringing their names to the forefront was something that really struck a chord with me. And when Brad mentioned it to me within the course of the film festival, I thought, yeah, I definitely would like to be involved. And that's how the journey began, from my point of view anyway. (laughs) Brad, anything to add to that? No, I mean, it was just, it was, uh, you know, I mentioned this before in other interviews, but it was just, uh, it was fate. There's no better way to to notate the way in which that Chris and I met, because I mean, it just lined up perfectly for us to kind of take this journey together through this film. Yeah, thank you for that. Now, it's in, it's very interesting to me how in just a 40-minute runtime for this film, you're able to go deep into Black history based on these cemeteries, and you, you also make the film very relevant to what is happening now. There's, there's a good balance between those two things. Can, so can you describe the thought process of what went into all of the information that you fit into a short film? Yeah, it's tough to kind of uh, articulate what all that could encapsulate but yeah it's i mean it never the current events 
that are happening now and then have been kind of boiling up to years prior, you know, it's always in the back of everyone's mind to some degree. I mean, that's not why I made or why Chris and I made this film. It's just more or less, I think Unmarked in some ways kind of leads people to or, or, or exposes some of these histories that have been hidden over time and how race plays into that largely and what you're seeing in, in the current events today. Again, like that was never really the purpose of making it, but I think that it touches on that largely. Um, but more than that, I think it was really to highlight these important individuals in our history that aren't really looked at or praised at all. But these individuals largely can contribute to the success of our nation and why we are here today is because we're, you know, we stand on their shoulders and the kind of the, the path that they laid out for all of us. And I feel like that is something that definitely needed to be um, shared largely. Chris, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's along the same lines of what of what Brad says. I mean, when you're doing a documentary, unless it's something that's already happened, I mean, there's there's certainly a possibility or a probability that you have a, a thought in your mind as to where you you want to take the story or where where you or the type of the the persons you want to interview, the sites you want to go to, because you have a, a general sense of what you want to for want of a better term, expose during the course of your cinematic uh, storytelling. And I think within this, the, the premise began, there are these unmarked, unknown individuals who are buried and they deserve the same right, the same dignity, the same um, respect as so many others. And part of what was going on, certainly around that time, is I mean, something that's going on that doesn't stop going on, is that there was the talk about monuments uh, of Confederate monuments and how those Confederate monuments were what one aspect of a community is talking about taking them down and another aspect of community is like no we have to keep them up that's our history we have to preserve our history and this like, well there's these other people who were alive for the most part during that same time when the confederacy was fighting a war to maintain their superiority and there's there's no effort behind preserving their lives and to, to, to bring up that the, the controversial term that we have black lives matter so these people who are passed away these people who are dead they matter which isn't to say that anybody else doesn't matter but they matter too and i guess that's that's that three-letter mm -hmm. word that people want to ignore if they want to ignore the whole idea behind it so these persons who are buried who may have been enslaved who may have been suffering through jim crow but we just don't know where they are because they didn't have the resources to buy a, a stone and have a, uh, a carver who could actually put in their their dates of life or whatever in there, or even have the means to buy a specific plot, a cemetery plot, they matter too. And so within this movie, it's reminding people that this is a situation. It's not something that we should just think that, oh, it's never gonna bother us, it never affects us, it's, it's, it's just not out there. It's like, no, this is, this concerns thousands, if not millions of people in the course of American history, and it's ongoing. 
and so many times where you walk in, in open fields, whether in Virginia, whether it's in Maryland, whether it's in Washington State, there might be areas you walk onto and you're like, wow, this place looks like it could have been a burial ground. I wonder who's buried here. I wonder, is anybody taking care of this? Should I try to take care of this? Because I hate to think that when I pass away, if I'm buried, nobody's gonna care anymore. And I think that's part of what, what struck me, even outside of the African-American slant of it, it's the universal slant of every uh, every person who who's alive today. At some point, we all are going to go wherever we feel like we're going to go. <laughs> and, <laughs> and either ashes to ashes, dust to dust, or in, in, in a pine box, and you hope somebody cares. You right. hope somebody cares wherever we are. And that's part of what this, we don't want people to still, to always be, or still be unmarked. I know that's a great point to add to that. Thank you for that. Now, Chris, I, I guess I'll continue. I'll direct this question directly to you and both of you can answer as well. With all of these discoveries of these different grave sites and cemeteries, you know, as you guys were making the film and filming these things, what does it mean to you, both as a filmmaker and uh, to both of you, again, as people of color, to be part of these discoveries, like as they're happening and having the opportunity to document everything that's going on? I mean, I'm very proud. I mean, I'm very fortunate. I, I will tell you this, and I don't know if I've said this on a on a on a podcast yet. So you, you have the scoop. Is that <laughs> one of the reasons that I became involved with the Utopia Film Festival or with any film festival is the the hope that one day I would be able to meet somebody, another filmmaker, who really had a project or had an idea or had something that I would want to do or would ask to be a part of it, and I would have the the time. And, and availability to actually join on. And this is, I think, the 16th or 17th year of the Utopia Film Festival. And this is probably the only one that has actually brought it to the fore. I mean, one part of it is just to try to be as diverse and to be as open to persons of all nationalities and around the world to be able to display their work. But also it's to connect with people through cinema because that's something that's we hope is archival. And from an African-American point of view, then it, it's trying to tell a story that those persons, I, I don't want, I'm gonna say in charge, but, and I guess to some degree they were in charge, try to diminish and try to minimize. Because if they hadn't done that, they wouldn't be unmarked. I mean, that, that's the reality. I mean, it wouldn't be such a big deal to, to, to find where these people are buried, to find where people of African descent, to find where people who were formerly enslaved were buried if there wasn't such a concerted effort to dismiss their lives and to dismiss their humanity, who they were, what their background was, and their legacy. And within that, it's, we're gonna sell you off. We're gonna call you another name. We're going to, uh, be very restrictive in what we allow you allow you to do and how to live your lives because we want to maintain control to the point where even where you're buried is going to be way off at the far end of the plantation, way far away from where we are. And you can do it at night because you've got chores to do during the day. I mean, there's so many different aspects of it that I think it's so fortuitous for me that as, as Brad said, it's something that just it's amazing how it just came to be that his movie came to Utopia. I was there because I had taken two years off from Utopia. So I'd come back maybe only two or three years. And we were able to, to put this in place. And while we were doing it, 
unfortunately or I don't know, unfortunately for the reality of it, but fortunately from a cinema point of view, matters kept going on, which kept reinforcing the fact of the importance of what this movie is about. Oh, absolutely. And it's turning into a very timely situation and topic as well. And Brad, was there anything you wanted to, to add to that question? As a, well, I think you originally framed the question about being a, a filmmaker of color. Right, right. So for me personally, that's something I came to identify later in life. I grew up being biracial, but not really knowing like what that meant really. And so it wasn't really until I took on that documentary that Chris had mentioned that I really kind of identified with those true roots. My uh, grandmother met my grandfather right after end of World War II. So she came over to America as a war bride. And so when she came to the States, she quickly assimilated. And so all that kind of culture and heritage got quickly, I don't want to say race. I mean, because my, my grandfather's family very much welcomed her, but to fit in, in American society, um, she the, the culture bit just went out the door. You know, she her, she never taught her children Japanese and my mother for that reason never taught me any as well. And so it just, it got kind of diluted, but my grandmother is kind of the backbone to our family. And so I was always interested in that. So she would always give me like hints of her culture back home. And so, yeah, it's, it's just different identifying with that kind of I guess role or title later on but it's something that I've come to embrace and, and really um, kind of give me a grounding for how I see the world now and uh, how we make films I guess. No, absolutely I think that really speaks to the times as well because you know me growing up I'm Mexican-American and mm. my upbringing was very American I guess you could say you know just like what you're describing and you know later in life is for me it's a very similar situation where you know I decided or I just started discovering things about the culture of Mexico and being Mexican and so I really understand what you're saying is I guess is what I'm trying to say there is, mm. is how you know, later in life, you, you have a little bit more of an appreciation just because you learn things and you start to understand what that actually means. So, no, thank you very much for bringing that up. For sure. Now, at the end of the film, and I mean the very last scene, and I'm not sure how much you want to talk about this or give away, but you leave things with a bit of a cliffhanger that really left an impact with me because it really ties into what's been going on for the last year. And again, I'm not sure if you want to give away exactly what that is, but is there anything you can say or you want to say about your decision to end the movie with that moment? Hmm. <laughs> well, I know what, at, at one point, Brad and I were having a discussion because there is a shorter version of this, which is on PBS, Real South, which is available as well. And so with the extended version, one of the things that we, we talked about, and I remember we were at a place called um, Ram's Head and, and we were sitting there uh, eating lunch and we were getting ready to go to this site in Maryland to do an on-site shoot. And we were thinking about how to begin the movie and how to end the movie since we were adding more minutes to it. And part of what the discussion broached was that when this movie comes out, when this extended version comes out, even though the shorter version has one glimpse of it, if we don't touch upon what's going on right now, people will wonder why. So yeah. we're talking about African-American history. We're talking about, about the inequality of how 
one race of people was treated in comparison to another race of people. And considering where we are in America, this is like 2019 at that point, with like how could we not broach it? Because then that would be a question. Because obviously we know we would we would be fortunate enough to come on shows like yours <laughs> to talk about our movies. And one would have every right to say, well, you know, you never mentioned, you didn't bring this up at all. How did you make the decision to not include any of the social injustice or issues that were going on in your movie about social injustice and inequality? And, and at that point, we sort of thought we have to. We have to incorporate it, not to slam it over the head, but to put it in there. Because if it's relevant, if it's now, how can it be ignored? Because it was something that was affected mortality. People were dying <laughs> from racial equality, racial inequality. And so how can you make a movie about final resting places and people being justly perceived and respected and spoken of and then not talk about what's going on right now? because it, it just wouldn't make sense. Even though we're talking about historic events, it's the history that relates to what's going on now. Otherwise, why should people care? It has to touch them now for them to care. No, you're totally right. And I think, as I mentioned, that's really what affected me at the end. It really highlighted the fact that, you know, there's these, like you mentioned, the slaves, former slaves, people who weren't even slaves, that are being discovered, their grave sites, there is a thread that connects directly to today. You know, literally today as we're talking, but the Derek Chauvin trial and the result of that came out today. There is a thread that go, that you could trace back from today all the way back to those slave times. So I guess that's really why I wanted to ask that is, is because there is such a connection there. And, and Brad, do you have anything to add to that as well? Well, I just think it's interesting you know, what the way in which we chose that, and I agree fully, obviously, I had that conversation with Chris and that's what we had decided upon. And, you know, it, it's just, it's a, it is, it's a direct correlation between that statue that's standing today and then to that time period of slavery. So there is some, some real relevance and real connection between those two time periods. And that's something that we definitely wanted to, to highlight and show in our film, yeah. Now, what was the biggest thing you learned, not as filmmakers, but as human beings from making this documentary? Hmm. That's a really good one. Um, <laughs> Brad, you want to take that one first? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, for me, it, it was like, <laughs> it's so funny too, because I don't know, you know, people get on tangents of like labeling things like they, they could call this a social justice film. But to me, to me personally, this is a human film. I mean, it's a right and right, right and wrong. The, the wrong would be not telling the story. You know, it, it would not be highlight these individuals and these people that you know gave so much to our country to ignore them to be like, oh well, you know, they're gone and dead. Like, what what difference did they make in this realm? And that, you know, for me personally, it was just that we wanted to highlight these individuals, and you know, it would have been wrong to overlook their contributions. I mean, I'll give you an example. So Maggie Walker, who is an African-American woman, became the first woman banker in Richmond. She's buried in a cemetery that not even 20 years ago was like, folks couldn't even get back to like, see where these individuals were buried. And they were just largely forgotten until the preservation efforts. And so we wanted to highlight that there was this, this struggle to like put these people on the map because they matter. And I feel like, you know, if, if we didn't go and make the film, 
to highlight these issues, then they never would have been brought to the light. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, that's a great way to, to put that as well. So now Unmarked has had a successful run through various film festivals, including the Pan-African Film Festival, which was co-founded by Danny Glover. Now, what has the film festival experience been like for you in relation to this film and also in relation to what the world has been like for the last year? I mean, we've been really fortunate to play, to screen it virtually, right? Yeah. As many festivals as we have so far, but it's just having gone through the film festival circuit with my last film, you're able to connect people, at least virtually. More individuals are able to see our film this way, I think, virtually than they would be coming in person. So for for that aspect, I'm, I'm thankful. It's very... I guess fortuitous in a way, because quite frankly, as Brad says, we don't have to use any of our budget for travel <laughs> to do this. <laughs> Whereas otherwise, I mean, I think this is, I think it's next, well, we have an interview coming up for the Oxford Film Festival in, in Mississippi, and that's our, our ninth film festival that we've been fortunate enough to be uh, accepted into. And I don't know if if, I, if either of us could have afforded to actually travel to nine different film festivals. The amount of travel and lodging and that type would have been kind of as wonderful as it is to be accepted it over and over and over again because that makes you feel better about your film, about your work. At the same time, you're like, oh my God, can I afford to go to, uh, can, I, can I go to the Pan African Film Festival in California? Can I go to um, the Mississippi for this? Can I go to this? Especially when some of them were, were within the same month or within a week apart. You know, we have a day job you have other things you have to do so that concern when you are a filmmaker trying to push your project so to speak whereas because of the virtual world that we're in now we we've been able to attend any and all of them that have had a virtual interview or q a available for us to participate in so at least at least one of us has been able to do that for each one and and i don't know if we really could have done that otherwise and so hopefully for any future projects that you know Brad does or I do or we do together, it's like how much money do you put aside in a budget? Okay, this day's gonna be the it's gonna be the bomb. So we better put away this much money so that we can go here and here and here. You, you just don't know. That's something that all filmmakers don't think about. And I know for myself, what's been very fulfilling and also a reminder of the big world at large is that this is what the major like if you have an oscar winning movie or this or or if you've got a big budget then it's incumbent upon you to show and represent and so when you see people on a tv show you see people on whatever show you name it they've got to go there they could be tired they could have just gotten off a plane but that you've got to promote this movie you spent years putting this project together and when it's something like this project when you really care about the subject matter and you think people should know about it then you have to sort of pick up i i, I had my second shot today so i was kind of afraid i took my second <laughs> i was afraid with brad i wonder how i'm going to feel about this and i took a little nap and i felt a little groggy but I, I feel fine now because i thought you know you really sort of owe it to the effort that we and our team put behind this film to go out there and promote it whenever you have the opportunity so that that's one of the things i'm very very thankful for and um I mean, do I want to have a COVID world next year? No, <laughs> but yeah, that's one of the things that I guess. Yeah, the access. I, th I think that's a big part of it is access, right? Mm -hmm. We've been able to, you know, all these festivals, they're virtually, but then even doing these shows, you know, it's being able to quickly access digitally and uh, able to, to share, promote that way. 
Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. It's like, would we even be having this conversation right now over a Zoom chat if you know the world wasn't the way it was? Because normally, you know, in the past, I would do interviews face to face during a festival. So no, those are all right. all really good points. So thank you for bringing that up. Now, speaking of access, for people are going to have access to the film, not just at film festivals. Unmarked will be available on streaming platforms like Apple TV, iTunes, Amazon is available on DVD as well. From my perspective, watching this film. It's a very important story. Historically, it's a very timely story. There's a lot of relevance to right now. So when people sit down to watch the movie, what is the one or two things that you're like, I really hope they get this out of watching that movie? For me, I feel like when folks watch our film, I hope that they are able to kind of conjure, if they didn't already have so in them, a kind of reverence for their own family history, knowing where they came from, what their family had to go through to to put them in the place that they are currently. You know, just different family contributions, you know, to kind of put them essentially just, you know, to be grateful for um, those that, that came before them. Yeah, I, I would agree. It's It's reiterating the fact that however you're watching it, that there's probably people in your life that you relate to who have passed away. And how much contact do you even have with their final remains? And how much contact, how much knowledge do you have of their contribution to your life or or to your existence? And then it is sort of a, whether you're in the genealogically inclined or family history at all, it's something that we all have in common. To my knowledge, nobody was born out of a test tube and then it's popped up yesterday. And like, oh my God, you have nobody but some cells. <laughs> there were other people who came before you. And I know for myself in doing genealogy, whenever you, ever, even if it's somebody you've never seen in your whole life, your great, great grandparent or your great, great, great grandparent, if you can go to a place where they were, where they are laid to rest, it's always made them more quote unquote, alive to me, however weird that may sound. It's sort of because this is where you're telling me, mom, dad, whoever, is where they're buried, it reinforces for me that they lived. And you can't help but think, and one day that's going to be me. And you hope that somebody will care about where I am or where I'm laid to rest. Or if I'm, my ashes are across the Atlantic Ocean, whatever, whatever. (laughs) You know, somebody's going to care and somebody's going to think, oh, yeah, that's where we did that. Or that's where he's laid to rest. Or when I want a special contemplative moment, I will go to this cemetery because that's where my great, great uncle is. And I will sit there and talk to him. And the spirit will be that he's listening. He or she is listening to me. And when you don't have that, it's an opening that you want to fill. Yeah. It's the family and your ancestors that that really ground you and kind of give you a means of, of knowing like who you are. Brad, Chris, thank you so much for making the film and thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Mark. Thank you, Mark, for having us on. This is the Changing Directions podcast series featuring Brad Bennett and Chris Haley, co-directors of Unmarked. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review on iTunes and share on social media. Any way you can support the podcast is very much appreciated. You can find every podcast episode and all of my movie reviews on 206.com. Thank you for listening to the Changing Directions podcast series presented by 206.com.